all these systems have been built and are essentially sitting on top. And it is a house of cards. And if you pulled one out, the whole thing collapses. to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Well, you heard the man with the nice radio voice. It is true. You are indeed back here at the Lions of Liberty podcast, and this is episode number 74. Before I get to today's guest, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. Your fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not to some massive crony insurance company. To learn more, head to lionsofliberty.com health. My guest today is an award-winning independent journalist, having been a recipient of the Edward R. Murrow Award, as well as a Lone Star Emmy. He's the producer and host of an excellent series of videos called The Truth in Media Project and runs his own website, benswan.com. He is making his return to the show after almost a year since we last spoke. I can't believe it. Ben Swan, welcome back into the Lions of Liberty podcast. Mark, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be back. Well, it's great to have you back in, Ben. And, uh, you know, it's been almost a year, like I said, and I take it you've uh, you've kept yourself pretty busy, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it just seems like there's so much going on every day. And, you know, it's it's like shooting fish in a barrel, <laughs> trying to find things to talk about. Unfortunately, I feel like there's so much that should be talked about that mainstream just won't talk about. That becomes frustrating at times. But you know what? I think there is, you know, new media, we're winning every day. I, I see new signs that we're winning. So it's all good. Well, sure. And more of my friends and more of just not just the political people, but even the sort of non-political people I hang out with. I notice that they they don't watch the Fox News anymore. They don't watch the CNNs anymore, at least not as much. They they are getting their news a lot more from what they see on social media, the podcasts they're listening to and that kind of thing. So before we get into what I want to talk about today, which is this video you produced called The Root of Police Militarization. First, just in case there are some people out here that might not be familiar with your work. And of course, you can listen to my first interview with Ben back in episode number 23. Three. You can go to the archive for that, lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. But Ben, why don't you just give us the quick Cliff Notes version. What is the mission over at benswan.com and with the Truth and Media Project? And you know what gap are you attempting to fill, like you mentioned there, that we're not getting from the mainstream media, from your Foxes, your CNNs, your MSNBCs? Sure. And what's pretty interesting is I think a year ago when we talked about this and two years ago when we started the project, some of the things that I would say at that time sounded kind of profound. And now when I say them tonight, it's going to sound uh, much less profound. And the reason for that is because a lot of other folks are using the same terminology, which is great. It's good. Certainly the paradigm shifting. The goal of our project is to talk about stories other people won't talk about, other media ignores, to break the left-right paradigm in media because we believe it's a false paradigm. We believe that every story has multiple angles, not just the left side and the right side. We believe that in general, media does not work to present facts or truth. And instead, for the most part, media in America, especially corporate media, is pushing an agenda. And the agenda is typically bought and paid for by some lobbyist, some advertisers, some company, corporation someplace that wants to shape how you view things. And so our goal is not to push any agenda other than truth. We just want to present people with truth and better educate them about politics, about you know the economy, about jobs, about what's going on in the world, what's happening with war, uh, and to help people to see a much more clear picture. 
So, Ben, what caused you to focus your attention to this issue of police militarization? Obviously, what went on in Ferguson brought a lot of attention to a lot of the visuals we see of police when they're coming out in this gear, in this SWAT gear, when they're coming out with these giant, crazy-looking tanks and these weird sound cannons and stuff like that. You know, what does what made you think this is an issue I have to really focus on here and bring some attention to? Well, what's interesting about that is we were talking about that issue a year before Ferguson happened and had actually been putting this piece together when Ferguson happened. So we actually had to redesign the piece because all of a sudden now, finally, after years of completely ignoring the issue for better or for worse, whether it was out of ignorance or uh, just complicity – you know, the mainstream finally started talking about, oh, look, my gosh, they have cannons and these guys are driving around in, in, in Bearcats and MRAPs and firing stun grenades. And so all of a sudden, when national media focused on, wow, look at this, we said, wait, stop. Because our original story, by the way, was just to say, you don't know it, but police departments have it. Right. That was our original story. And it was almost done when this all broke in, in the summer. And so we, I said, wait a minute. So uh, what we're doing now is, is dated and people are now aware. So what can we do to educate the public? And that is to say, wait, so the story that mainstream is telling is still the wrong story because what they're telling you is, well, somehow all this scary equipment got in there. And what they're not telling you is how it got there, why it's there, and the fact that the issue isn't the Bearcat and the MRAP. The issue is the military tactic that has been used to perpetuate the war on drugs, and that's what we wanted to present to people. Well, Ben, you beat me to the punch, because that was my next question, is, is defining exactly what this term police militarization means. Is it just, and you've already answered that, it's not just the exact weapons, the specific things they're using, but it's, it's also a method of tactics and sort of the way that police are being trained to view the citizens that they're supposed to protect, ideally, in theory, but that's actually not really playing out. So how would you just, I guess, define overall this concept of police militarization? Well, yeah, I, I think when we talk about police militarization, what people have to understand is that we have been militarizing police since the 1980s, right? So the idea that this is all new is false. It really began in the 80s with the big push for the war on drugs under Reagan. And what happened was the Reagan administration started pushing for increased funding to go to SWAT teams to help with drug raids. And so when people see all this stuff that's happening now and and they're surprised by it, what they need to realize is that about 40,000 drug raids occur in America every single year. And most of those raids occur with military-style tactics, no-knock warrants, doors being kicked in, flash grenades thrown through windows – Officers who enter homes not wearing uniforms, they're wearing black t-shirts in most cases. Um, You have people who are shot, the wrong homes are are raided, civilians killed, innocent families terrorized by it. But it's all done under the auspices of the war on drugs, which makes it in most people's minds acceptable. It's acceptable to them. It It is a tactical move because remember, we keep pounding Mark into people's minds the phraseology of war on drugs, war in the streets, war on poverty, war on crime. And so when you keep telling people that we're in this perpetual state of war, they begin to believe that in order to do that, conduct that war, we must have soldiers and warriors on the streets. Police officers believe that they're being called into a war to do this. And and so we've created this 
I think, this archetype in people's minds that says it's acceptable to do this under the auspices of the war on drugs. Why wouldn't we have soldiers in the streets? Why wouldn't we have Bearcats and MRAPs? We would have to have those things if we're truly fighting a war. You and I both know that the war on drugs is a facade, but in the general public's mind, it is not. Sure, and, and if it's a war, and if people believe it's a war and should be a war, well then, of course you're going to use military tactics. Of course you're not going to politely knock on the door of, say, the terrorist that's out there. No, and in this case, the terrorist, they're just replacing that with the drug user or the drug dealer or what have you. And the result is just, like you said, I think it's something like 40,000 raids per year. And the most disturbing thing to me, I mean, obviously all the weapons are disturbing when I see them used on protesters or when I see them used on someone's house. And, and, there, and there was a little girl this year that was, or a little baby actually, that was injured with a, by a flash grenade that was thrown into their crib. I mean, it's yep. just terrible to see, but... Oh, and can I, just, can I say something about that absolutely. real quick? So since our piece has come out, there was a grand jury that was convened in the case. So for folks who have not seen the piece, you go to benswan.com, click on Truth and Medium, Root of Police Militarization. In that piece, we profile several stories, and one of them is this story, as you mentioned, this little baby, the family living in a built-out garage area, staying in a home. Cops go there to get the nephew, didn't have good intel, didn't realize there was a family living in there, threw a, a flashbang through the window, it lands in the baby's crib, blows a hole in his chest. Now, here's what's interesting. This baby, who was 19 months old, um, had to undergo multiple surgeries nearly died, had to be put into a medically induced coma. It was horrific what happened to him. A grand jury was convened and they reached a decision after our piece was done. And what we weren't able to mention because obviously it hadn't happened yet is that the grand jury not only did not indict a single officer in that SWAT team, but they actually praised the officers. They praised them. They said for number one, stepping into a potentially dangerous situation and number two for having a medical ambulance on the scene in case something went wrong. And so they, they commended them for having an ambulance there to take care of the baby whose whole, they, whose chest they blew a hole into throwing a flash grenade through the window and then said that, it, that the family was at fault for living in a home where the nephew may have been a drug dealer. May have been. <laughs> and that was what the grand jury came away with. So when people say that grand juries can't be led and brought one way or the other by a prosecutor, I hope that was the case here. I hope these people genuinely did not look at the facts of the case and come to this conclusion on their own because it's tragic if they did. Wow, that, that is just mind-boggling. I mean – when you see people that have the facts of the case, or, I mean, I guess we don't know what kind of facts they had of the case, but you have to think they at least had the basics, which was no-knock raid, flash grenade, crib, baby injury. I mean, let's hope they at least had that stuff. And to not, you know, even examine that in a deeper level, I mean, doesn't that sort of show more? It's more than just these the equipment and the tactics. It's also, I guess, a broader problem with our justice system, with, with the fact that, you know, when these tactics are used, when there are injuries to... Innocent people, I call anyone innocent if they haven't been convicted of a crime. Some people might say, well, maybe the kid was a drug dealer. I mean, maybe he was, but even if he was, we're talking about a victimless crime, and yet these guys are arming up, loading up to the teeth as if they're going after, you know, ISIS or something like that. And, you know, it's interesting you say they commended them for having the ambulance there ready to go, but 
I, I mean, I guess it's good they did, but in a way, it's kind of shows you that they already know that there's a decent chance they're going to go hurt somebody or that one of them is going to get hurt. I mean, it seems so um, unnecessary to have that kind of violent, aggressive action towards somebody who is at least suspected of something that involves no real victims. It, it, it involves victimist crimes, drug dealing. So, I mean, what is the logic behind these tactics? I mean, why, why do they, why, I mean, even just starting with the basic no-knock raid, I mean, why can't we knock? Why do they do this at three in the morning? Why do they serve these warrants in this way that they do? Well, they do it because the idea is that they're going into these very dangerous situations where you have heavily armed drug gangs, uh, very violent gangs, and if, if they sh walk up to the house and they're wearing their uniforms and they knock on the door, they're going to get shot through the door. And there is a potential for that. So so not every every bit of this is coming out of a place of, of uh, just kind of pulling it out of the air. There are legitimate reasons why police have allowed this to get to this point and why grand juries allow it to get to this point and prosecutors allow it to get to this point, right? Because there is a legitimate issue. However, if we decriminalize drugs, if we legalize drugs in this country, you'd eliminate all those problems because then the drug dealer would go away, at least in the traditional sense. The violence surrounding drugs... The crime surrounding drugs, for the most part, would go away, as Colorado was seeing. It didn't become, you know, uh, Armageddon out there, and it certainly didn't become a Mad Max movie when they legalized marijuana over in Colorado. And so what you find is that most of the crime related with drugs, as you know, Mark, is prohibition-related. And so when you have people defending their stash, yes, it becomes a dangerous thing for police officers. And so over the years, what we've done is we've adapted to that. Officers wear plain clothes. They're dressed undercover. They don't knock on the door because they say it sets them up you know, to be in danger. They kick the door in. But the problem is we have innocent people who are dying because of a system that has now grown to this point. We also talk about the, uh, a young Marine who was in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and, and police showed up at his house thinking there were drugs in the house. Never found drugs, by the way. But when they got to the house, his wife saw someone standing in the front yard. He's an he's a ex-Marine. He sends his wife and kid to a bedroom to hide. He picks up his gun, has the safety on, and is standing in the living room with it. And they kick the door open. And when they see him, they shoot him to death because he's holding a gun. And police have never said in this case whether or not they found drugs in the house. And they killed this Marine because that is what they are trained to do. And as we talk about in the piece, Mark, the problem is how we are training police, training them, I think, poorly to respond to these things instead of stepping back and saying, wait a minute. Because listen, if, if, there, if there are law enforcement folks who are listening to this interview, police officers, you know, sheriff's deputies, if you guys are listening to this, you need to understand that we understand you have an incredibly difficult job. But that job, I think, has been made much more difficult and much more dangerous because politicians insist on keeping things illegal that shouldn't necessarily be illegal. And because we keep criminalizing things and, and, and allowing certain segments of society to become more and more criminalized, it puts you in greater danger. It puts society in greater danger. It puts innocent people in greater danger. It is a, a domino effect of these bad decisions that are made, and it looks like in most cases made because of the profitability of those decisions. Well, Ben, I know at least one member or at least former member of law enforcement that is listening to this show, and that is my last guest. Uh, last week, I spoke with a gentleman by the name of Rayford Davis, and he actually contacted me out of the blue. He's a big fan of the show, and you know, he, he wanted to come on the show because he used to be a police officer, and his story is absolutely fascinating. If anybody hasn't listened to it yet, it's the last episode, episode 73. 
And he basically told the story of now he joined the police force in Charleston, South Carolina, for the same reason many other people joined the police force, because, you know, they wanted to help their community. They wanted to do right. You know, many people just view the police as these monsters that are out there that just want right. to cause harm to other people. And that's it's really not the case. But, you know, he, he saw over the course of his service and his time, he began to see that, you know, in many ways, he told me the story of one young boy that they just stopped on his moped. And it was like four of them kind of shaken him down and they convinced him to just let him search for drugs and he had no drugs and they let him go but he was there thinking to himself like wait a minute we we're kind of the ones acting like the gang of thugs here we're the ones that are going around harassing people uh, that haven't done anything to anybody that haven't harmed anyone else and you know he slowly began to realize that it's not just the police it's the laws it's their directives it's their priorities so many police departments right now from top-down directives their priorities are the war on drugs and even when he was so uncomfortable working in drug crime he moved to a different field a different area actually trying to help kids and kids that had problems with child abuse but then he, he noticed there that he was so underfunded and it was such a low priority that the, a lot of those crimes would barely get investigated while they'd have, you know, 10 times as many officers out working the streets looking for drugs, looking to enforce victimless crimes. So obviously the, the, the conditions that create this are, are very systemic. It's not, you know, necessarily one bad police officer here or there or even a group of bad police officers. It's really bad laws, bad legislation, bad politicians that are sending these orders down. And ultimately, I think, and, and I'll let you address what you think the root really is, but I think the root is much, much deeper than just sort of what we see on the surface, the tanks and the guns and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And what you, I, I would agree with everything you just said. And, and I think what we see is to the issue of why is it this way? Well, first of all, a local police department receives more federal funding if they go in and arrest people for drug crimes because we have a game system. They dangle a carrot in front of these local departments and say, you know, show us your value in terms of ending the, fighting the war on drugs and we'll send you money. And you don't get that for, you know, child abuse cases. You don't get that for these other, you know, serious crimes that are happening in your community. You're not going to get federal funding for that, but you are going to get the federal funding in spades for the drug cases. But the other issue is this, and, and I think this is important. There is a really important story happening in New York City over the Eric Gardner stuff. You know, after those two police officers were basically executed in their vehicle, which was a horrible tragedy, um, when those two officers were killed, the New York Police Union, as you know, turned around and said, we're now only going to enforce laws when absolutely necessary. We're only going to make arrests, what they said, when absolutely necessary. That's the word they used, absolutely necessary. Which, which obviously is a huge problem for a lot of us because the first thought that most of us have when you hear that is, well, that means that you're arresting people when it's not necessary. Right. I mean, shouldn't right? arrest always arrest, which is a violent act. You're taking someone uh, presumably against their will, putting them in a cage and, you know, doing whatever happens from there. But, you know, essentially th that is an aggressive act. So it sh it, really that should be a last resort. If we're talking about violence, theoretically only be used when necessary. And now they're kind of openly admitting, oh, yeah, well, obviously most of the time we do this, it's completely unnecessary. No, that's exactly right. And the problem is when you if you think about that whole concept, it is not necessary to arrest someone. As you said, it's a violent act, but not just a violent act. I mean, it follows someone around for years in their life. It affects whether or not they have employment later on. It affects uh, what kind of housing they can get into. I mean, there there are significant issues that are tied to someone being arrested. And then ultimately, if that person is, is convicted of a crime, whether it's a, a misdemeanor or then a felony, there are enormous ramifications for their life and, and including things like whether or not they can even vote later on. So we should never 
never, I think, as a society, be a, a, allow members of law enforcement to, to throw around terms like only arrest people when necessary. But, of course, media doesn't really even attack that issue. Here's what's interesting. So for about, I think it was a week or so, a little over a week, NYPD had this slowdown where they weren't writing parking tickets, basically. That's essentially what they slowed down on. And as a result of it, the city, in the, over the course of a week, lost $10 million in revenue. Now, I don't call it revenue. I would call that theft. Sure. I would say you lost $10 million of plunder is what you actually lost. But in order to make up for that, so, so with the slowdown, I was interviewing Matt Taibbi, who's a reporter for Rolling Stone, really brilliant guy, yeah, and was interviewing him recently, and, and he's done a lot of work on this in the past, and he was saying, look, that he was talking to cops on the street there in New York who were saying, we love it. We love the fact that we're doing this slowdown right now because we actually get to be cops, right? We, we get to go into communities and look out for violent crime and look out for the people who are really the bad guys. And we, we've stopped, you know, there's no stop and frisk right now. There's no um, writing parking tickets for everyone or giving citations for this thing or for that thing, right? And so what's really interesting is if you go back to the core of what was happening in New York. And, and I went out to Ferguson and I reported out there. I, I've been doing some work with RT America. And I was out there um, doing some work in Ferguson and interviewing people in Ferguson. And one of the things that people were there were telling me was the root of the problem in Ferguson, the reason the whole thing blew up was because of the fact there's this animosity between police and the public. And if you really talk to people, what it comes down to is it comes down to policing for profit. It comes down to not trusting police because every time you see one, they want to write you a ticket. They want to fine you for something. They want to, they want to catch you speeding. They want to catch some kind of traffic violation, parking violation, you know, loitering, whatever it is that they can find. They write you a ticket for it. Well, this is how municipalities all over the country are funding themselves. They're funding themselves through a, a system of basically criminalizing all kinds of behavior so that the punishment for those criminal offenses is a ticket or a fine. And by doing that, you're essentially robbing the public. You're, you're plundering the public. Well, in New York, when the slowdown ended after those seven days, $10 million lost, police officers said they were told when it ended, you will go back to writing tickets. You will all write at least two citations a day or you will not get sick time and you will not get vacation time. And the officers in New York were furious about this because they said, what you're doing to us is putting us exactly back in the position we were in before all this stuff blew up. And the officers in New York recognize that the reason there's so much animosity between them and the public is because of the fact that they're not serving the public as police, and instead they're being given these assignments to basically be tax collectors and go around collecting money from people, and they're sick of it. And I thought that was pretty interesting to watch how, that, how that's kind of developed out there. Yeah, and, and we talk about how so many people across the country are waking up to the issue of police militarization. But, you know, it sounds like maybe a lot of police officers are also waking up and realizing that they are kind of just stuck in this bind as well, where a lot of them just want to go out there and do their job. But when they have top-down directives saying you have to do this, this or that, and give X amount of tickets and X amount of fines, they're being put into a situation where they are potentially in violent encounters that will turn violent. 
such as the Eric Garner situation or the Michael Brown situation. I mean, I think, you know, in, in the Michael Brown case, it might not be a great example. It's possible he had was the suspect in a theft, and I don't want to get into all that stuff. But the point is, a majority of encounters between police and citizens are for completely victimless crimes. And when police are basically forced to enforce those those laws... I mean, yeah, we're going to get violent encounters. So, I mean, when we talk about the root, and obviously policing for profit is really the root of why this is all happening because the police departments are making money off it. They almost need to do SWAT raids to get all these federal funds. You also mentioned in that piece that, you know, it has nothing to do with the war on terror, that when they talk about the war and police militarization, how we have to arm the police, I guess, I don't know, in case ISIS invades or something like that, in case they swim over here. But in a way, I think it does because a lot of this equipment is that, isn't it actually excess equipment from the Pentagon? So in some ways, it's actually the fact that all this equipment is just out there ready to be handed out to these police departments is, is somehow tied into our aggressive foreign policy. And the fact that we have a war on terror, the fact that there's all this demand for all this equipment to the fact that there's just companies just producing all these extra Bearcats and MRAPs and all this stuff that should, in theory, just be used in war zones. And now it's being shipped off to our local police department. So it's, it's really all tied into a set of bad government policies from the top down, from the war on drugs to the war on terror. And you know, to me, I think the, the, the real root, if we're going to dig all the way down you know, beneath the soil and get to the very bottom there, is really the philosophy of our fellow citizens and the fact that most people do support these policies in some way or the other, even if they don't really realize the kind of ripple effects that they're having. But hopefully people like you bring attention to this issue. And, and you know, my little podcast here are helping some people wake up to that. Well, and that's and that's exactly the point. I mean, the problem is that people view this in a vacuum, and so they'll view you know what's happening overseas in a vacuum, and and not think about how it's connected to everything else. They they view the war on drugs in a vacuum. They view the policing issue in a vacuum. They they view the the citation and the finding of people in a vacuum. And so when you when you look at all these things and you compartmentalize them to the point where you look at them and say, well, they're really unrelated to each other and you don't recognize how one thing is leading to the next, which leads to the next, which leads to the next, we end up in a situation like we're in right now. You know, one of the things, and, and probably don't have enough time to get into it tonight, but one of the things that's really interesting we're working on now is a piece about the, the prison system in America. And talk about a system that has become so overrun with cronyism and and violent aggression against people and really destroying people's lives for these crazy systems of profit that are set up. And it also goes back to the war on drugs. It also goes back to keeping these things in place. When people ask the question, why can we not end the war on drugs? That you only ask that question if you do not recognize how all these other systems have been built and are essentially sitting on top of it. It is a house of cards. And if you pull that one out, the whole thing collapses. Sure, and these prisons that make profits off having prisoners, essentially, a lot of them have contracts with the states that the states are going to basically guarantee that they're going to have X percentage of that prison filled at all times. Now, Ben, I've got just a couple more questions. But first, I want to take a minute to tell everyone out there about our sponsor, Health Excellence Select. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance cost double and my deductible skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance. 
and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. This is Ben Swan, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, Ben, if you don't have a bunch of victimless crime laws, it's going to be really tough to fill a lot of these jails if you're really only enforcing things that maybe people like us should think should be crimes, such as theft, murder, etc. But out here in California, we just passed Prop 47, which I think is a great bill. It reduces a lot of drug crimes from felonies to misdemeanors, which is great for many people. Many people can get out of jail earlier because of it. Many people can now maybe purchase a, a firearm that couldn't because they were labeled a felon or can vote and that kind of thing. But there's so much pushback to actually releasing the prisoners. And one of the reasons they're giving is that they need the cheap labor. They're actually saying they'll have trouble fighting fires because they actually have a program where they use prisoners to go out and fight fires here in California. So, I mean, the prison population is so tied into so many things. I mean, and again, that's just another reason that there are so many strong forces that are pushing back against all the progress that is being made in the war on drugs, because the war on drugs is pretty much everybody uses a substance of some kind, whether it's alcohol, whether it's a prescription drug, whatever, millions and millions and millions of people. So when you have laws that basically make a criminal out of anyone who does some kind of drug, it's really easy to to fill those jail cells up. And when when we, the citizens, start to try to roll that stuff back, there's a lot of people that are, are fairly unhappy about it. They absolutely are. One of the things that I didn't even know until um, very recently is how many U.S. corporations are essentially using prison labor to help design their products and create products for them. And it's, it's absolutely stunning when you see the list of these corporations and you find out that the people who are working in these prisons are making $28 a month. Huh. That's what they make to work eight hours a day. And you have a, a workforce that doesn't show up late, that doesn't call in sick. No, that's not an option. Because if they do anything wrong, then they're punished for it. They get no retirement. They have no pensions. They get no social security. I mean, none of it. And yet they, they are forced to work eight hours a day for these companies. And when you start to see that happening and you recognize that this is what's taking place, how are we ever going to undo this when you have now massive corporate influence and venture capital firms investing in prisons in order to create them solely for the purpose of the value that it brings to those companies by perpetuating this system? That is a terrifying thought to me, Mark, that that is the kind of system that we're living in right now. And it's, it's the underbelly of what's going on in this country. And uh, I tell you, man, I, I really believe there is a there is a reckoning that comes for that kind of thing. You know, I hate to toss around the word in the context of political debate, but I can't see any other way to phrase it. I mean, isn't that essentially institutionalized slavery for people that have done no wrong? I mean, some people are in jail have done wrong, certainly, but many, many, many have not when we consider they have not cr caused a crime against someone else. They have not harmed another person. They are simply there because they possess a certain substance of some kind. And those people are essentially being paid nothing. I mean, $28 a month, I don't know, maybe it buys them something in the commissary. But for all intents and purposes, they are slaves and they have to do what they're told or they're punished for it. Punished with more jail time, punished with who knows what, beatings from guards. I mean, I don't know what goes on at some of these places. I've certainly heard some horror stories. So uh, this stuff is very deep. It's very intertwined. There are so many vested interests in increasing the state and in increasing not just the amount of equipment that these police departments are getting, but in the tactics they're using and in the laws, most importantly, the bad laws that they're using to fill these prisons and create 
all this labor. It's a very disturbing, but I'm glad that there are at least now people out there like you who can circumvent the mainstream media who would never do a story like this before. And now you can do your videos, put them out there. You can watch them on your Roku like I do. You can watch them on YouTube. You can watch them in so many ways. And millions of people can now see this stuff and start to digest this information. And I think until people are really aware of the problem and the depth of it, they're, they're not going to start to care about it. So that, that is step one. And I'm so glad that you're out there doing what you're doing. And now, Ben, before I let you go, why don't you, um, are there any stories you got in the works? I know you mentioned you're looking into the private prison thing, but what can we expect coming in 2015 from the Truth and Media Project? Well, I will tell you, we have a, a piece we're going to be releasing uh, within the next few weeks on the uh, origins of ISIS, where ISIS actually comes from. For anybody out there who says, oh, I already know, I good. That's awesome. <laughs> Now, what we want you to do is we want you to go take this piece when it's out, and we want you to send it to everybody in your life who doesn't know. Everybody in your life who watches CNN or they watch Fox or they're just tuned out and say – because here's the thing is we're now you know, getting deeper and deeper into this fight against ISIS and how quickly people are forgetting that this whole thing was created by foreign policy, by direct action by the US government and the Saudis. So we're going to be releasing that soon, and, and we want to um, get that out. The other thing is I will tell you guys, I'm sure you, you've heard, Mark, very tragic story out of Minnesota where the writer and creator and the director of the Gray State uh, movie project found dead in his home with his wife and daughter. Yeah. Um, police are saying at this point, investigators are saying, looks like a murder-suicide. We are doing an exclusive interview with a creative partner and one of the guys who helped to create all this. They're sitting down exclusively with us, and we're doing an interview. We'll be releasing that either Monday or Tuesday of next week. And so uh, to give people a chance to see it, it's a story that we all need to be watching very carefully and continuing to follow and doing so in a responsible way, right? Not just jumping to conclusions on it, but letting things develop as they come um, and being respectful of the family and where they are. But we'll be releasing that next week as well, so keep an eye out for it. Great. I'm glad you're looking into that. And, you know, there, there are so many people out there that get so sensationalistic with this stuff. I mean, I've already seen the Alex Jones, the government killed him and, and maybe they did. I don't know, but we need to kind of take a step back and actually do investigations into these things. And, and again, that's, that's the great work you guys are doing out there. And it, it's, it's scad too, because I've already seen smears of, of David Crowley out there. I've seen headlines like anti-government extremists kill, or, you know, found yes. dead. I mean, I mean, he's not, I know a lot about the guy. He's not an anti-government guy. He was just trying to point out a lot of the problems in our society and doing that through his filmmaking. And it's just so sad that, that his, uh, well, his voice isn't gone. It's going to live on in many ways. And, and that, that's a positive thing. So, um, again, I'm glad you're out there doing this, doing the stories. I don't think you'll see CNN trying to look into the death <laughs> of David Crowley or, or look into, you know, why we have bad drug laws and that kind of thing. So, Again, great job on what you're doing, Ben. I really do enjoy your work, and I, I promote it as much as I can. And everybody out there, if you're not familiar with Ben Swan and BenSwan.com and the Truth of Media Project, what the hell are you doing out there? Get on this stuff. Turn <laughs> off the TV for 20 minutes and go check it out. Ben Swan, best of luck with everything you're doing. Thanks. Great talking to you, buddy. Let's do it again soon, man. <laughs> great, Ben. Have a good night. Thanks for coming on. Take care. You too. We'll be back after a little break. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media, or even in your typical social media news feed. 
We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at lionsofliberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my talk with Ben Swan. And now my only problem with Ben is that he's such a pro. He makes me sound like even more of an amateur. But hey, I'm doing what I can here because you don't have to be a pro. You don't have to be as well-spoken as Ben Swan to make a difference, to spread ideas. You can do it in so many ways. You can do it just by following Ben Swan. Sharing his videos, sharing his Truth and Media Project videos. Follow him on Twitter, share it on your social media. Share this show if you enjoy it. Share it with your family and friends. Start a blog, start a YouTube channel, start a Twitter account. Make little sock puppet plays. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what way you prefer to communicate with people. But you gotta do it. You gotta find a way if you care at all about this stuff. You gotta find a way to spread these ideas, even if it's just sharing the ideas of other people. Even if it's just sharing this podcast with your family, with your friends, with your social media networks. Because when we talk about the root, the real root of the problems we see here with police militarization, with victimless crimes, and there's a lot of there's a lot of roots. There's a lot of sort of roots spouting off into different branches. There's private prisons. There's the war on drugs. There's a lot of vested interests here. But the real root, like I said, if we dig all the way down, all the way beneath that tree and all the way underneath the ground, 20 feet under, we'll find the real root is philosophical. It's in the bad philosophy of our fellow man, the hearts and minds and souls of our next-door neighbors, our family, our friends. These are the people whose hearts and minds we have to change to make a difference in the world. If your neighbor thinks people should be locked in a cage for owning a plant, well, that's where you need to start. If your parents support the war on drugs, well, maybe it's time for a little talk with them. Because at the end of the day, this stuff can only continue to go on because of the beliefs of the people. And yeah, a lot of powerful interests out there ignore a lot of the people's beliefs. I'm against the war on drugs, and yet it's still around. What the heck? Not just one person can change it. That's why if you're upset about this stuff and you see why it's wrong, you can't keep it to yourself. I don't care if you're shy. I'm shy too. That's why I'm hiding behind this microphone in my house and not out giving a speech in public. You can find me on social media. We can have a chat. It's cool. You can email me, Mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com. I'm happy to have a talk. But this doesn't come natural to me. I didn't start a podcast because I, I love, you know, I love talking. I love putting myself out there. I don't love it. I love it now. I've come to love it. I enjoy doing the show. But I do it, and I did it, and I started doing it because of the problems I see out there. And I know if I just stay silent, and I just stay on the internet, and I, I read some articles about it, and I just get mad, well, what's that going to accomplish? Nothing. It means I'll just be a guy who's pissed off about some things. And then, what, I just leave my house go about my day? Go watch some movies? Go watch the Oscars? Not give a crap? It's not going to help. It's not going to help. It's going to help by having a conversation. 
Whether it's a SWAT raid killing a Marine who did nothing other than try to defend his family, or permanently scarring a 19-month-old infant with a flash grenade, guys, if this doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what to tell you. I gotta take a deep breath. I'm I'm currently screaming at a microphone, guys. Things are getting out of control. Maybe it's time to wind down the show. But you see what I'm saying? We need to be fired up. Maybe not as fired up as I am right now. But we need to see that there are problems out there. And it's not just other people's problems. There are problems. Because if a SWAT raid can kick a door in and scar a 19-month-old infant who hasn't done anything in the world to upset anyone... Maybe cried a little bit. If that can happen to an infant, it can happen to any of us. It can happen to me. It can happen to you. It's not just other people out there that are victims of this stuff. You are in other people too, if that makes any sense. If not, my great editor, John Darbert, will, will twist it around until it makes sense. You don't need twisting, my friend. Whew. Now, speaking of fired up, we got a lot going on at the website. Have you been there lately? Lionsofliberty.com. Come and check it out. We got a lot going on. We have so many new features we got going on. We have Rand Pluses and Minus, a terrible pun, but a great article. A pun so bad, it's good. It's a weekly article by Brian McWilliams where we keep tabs on Rand Paul, all the things he's saying. We're giving him grades. We're judging how he's doing. We have Second Amendment Watch. John Odermatt has taken on a new assignment. He's also the author of our Felony Friday. You can get that every Tuesday. So be sure to come back every day. We, of course, have the morning roar every single morning. We'll have some feature stories, a bunch of links for you. If you have interest in what I'm talking about today. If you've made it this far in the podcast, lionsofliberty.com is the place for you every single day. We've got all sorts of great news and information and stuff like that there. So please come on by. Please keep coming back to the show in just two days. Let me be your whiskey shot. This Thursday, Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. I'm super excited about it. You only got two days. But until then, live long! Live free. Thank you.